name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. There's a wonderful phrase in the Gospel of St. Matthew that we can use during this retreat to help foster deeper examination. Ecce exit qui seminat seminare. The sower went out to sow. Picture the crowd now that is gathered around him as he got into the boat. And it's from that boat that he taught them this parable. Told them many things. Matthew says he told them many things, but in particular told them this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some seed fell on rocky places where it had no much it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, and thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. So let's join now the Lord Jesus as we hear this parable that he taught by the sea. But he wants us to listen to it with a sense of urgency. The first words he says is, listen, listen to this. Sower went out to sow. And he also tells them later on about what happened to that seed. Later on, when the apostles ask him, they, they, what does this really mean? He gives them a kind of a director's cut, like a movie that is commented by the actual director who made the movie. It's a, it's a special movie where you go through the whole, all the scenes and the director explains everything. What is clear is that there are different types of soil that the seed finds upon falling. And uh, the Lord sums up the different types of, of soil that is the different types of people in the world, the different types of souls. And that's why he offers us an, an opportunity to examine which kind of soil am I who have received the seed of God's word, of God's grace, our own response uh, to his message. We are both soil or the ground where the seed arrives, but we are also sowers ourselves with that great responsibility of ensuring that the seed takes root in souls around us. That what we sow with our ministry, with our example, with our good humor, with our life, 
with our knowledge, with our doctrine, with our criteria, with our ability to discern, all that takes root in souls. We have to let it take root in us, but we have to also ensure that what we've sown takes root in others. It's like a, it's a serious responsibility. People look up to the priest. If there has been a, a loss of prestige and moral standing among, among the priesthood in general in society, it's because some had been bad sowers, but they had also been the bad soil or inappropriate soil for that seed of God's word to take root. It never took root in their soul. But of course, many, in many it did take root. And that is the source of the prestige of the priesthood. It's men who allowed the seed of God's word, God's grace, to really take root. But it does fall upon different kinds of soil. And that's, that's what we want to do during retreat, to see, okay, what kind of soil really am I? And what are the uh, kinds of effects that the seed of God's word has had in me? Perhaps one of the most famous 19th century paintings is a painting by Jean-François Millet, a painter, a, a painter of the Barbizon school, so sort of more towards the earliest, earliest part of the 19th century, and he has his height around 1850s. And he did a famous painting that he proposed to the Salon of Paris called The Sower. If you don't know who Jean-François Millet is, you might remember, if you think of the painting, uh, the Angelus. You know, these two peasants in a field, these humble peasants that stop there to pray precisely as they have been sowing seed. And you could see it's a quiet place. There's the twilight across the land. There's a kind of rose glow of the sunset engulfing all the fields. In the back you can see church, a church spire there, sort of spiking up over the horizon. And it's like the, the evening air. And they are in this devout position. They've taken their hands off. And surely in those souls, the seed of God had succeeded. And when Millet first uh, sort of presented that painting to his agent, a guy by the name of Sancier, he hadn't had a you know title for that painting. It was just he just he had a great uh, um, fascination with the peasant life, and he wanted to underline the value of the poor peasant life that was valuable and, and noble work. And when Sancier first saw the painting on his on his easel, Millet said, "Well, what do you think? What, what do you think this represents? Eh? What do you think this is? Like, would you give it a title?" And immediately he said. C'est l'Angelus. It is the Angelus. These peasants are stopping to pray. The Angelus. And Millet said, oh yes, I like that. That's good, that's good, I like that idea. <laughs> he was very satisfied, and now it's like, it's like worth millions. <laughs> and, uh, and in fact, uh, Sancier said, can you not hear the bells? And uh, it, it ended up in the Louvre in 1889, um, uh, because it's such an iconic painting. 
But the other famous painting that he that he also painted was the painting of the sower, where you see this Herculean figure sowing seed, but kind of like covering up the whole painting. He's like a this massive grand gesture of of throwing the seed. But when he presented that in 1854, the critics looked down upon it. They said, how, how can you paint a, a mere peasant with such a grand Herculean gesture? He's just a peasant. You can't. It was, these were classics. You know, these were classical painters, the, the, the Académie. You know, and uh, they thought, you cannot. You know, a peasant is just like a worm. I mean, you don't present him with such a grand gesture, they thought. He was... He seemed to be undertaking something far too grandeur, far too grand, far too important. Peasants are not important. That's what they said to him. So it was rejected from the settle of 1854. And so it ended up in some hotel somewhere in Paris. You know, I mean, not a bad hotel, but you know, it wasn't l'Académie. So it turns out that uh, one of the people passing through that uh, hotel was Vincent van Gogh. And he stood in front of that painting and he said he had a mesmerizing experience as he saw those peasants there. Because he himself had been painting peasants as well. And he wrote to his brother Theo and he explained that as I stood in front of that masterpiece, I was floating as I saw it. He was just mesmerized. And so he later painted his own version. And uh, what he's trying to emphasize here is the grandeur of this apparently menial task of sowing seed by a peasant. And it's grand because the peasant represents God who is sowing something great in our soul. And we know, Lord, you have sown something in me. You've sown your seed. And of course, you've sown something in many souls around me. That painting now is worth millions, just as the answer is also worth millions. It's been copied, it's been multiplied. And uh, isn't it true that that sow, that seed that God has sown in my soul, can, can if, I, if I nurture it, if I take care of it, it can be worth millions? That's what we have to examine when we look at the parable of the sower. What has God really sown? How have I nurtured that seed? We all have different personalities, different characters, different abilities. Especially as priests. You know, it, it really hardens people to see a priest who has not let the, the seed of God's grace bear fruit in him. He's still a priest. He's still a priest, yeah. Pope Francis spoke about this parable. He said, Our heart, like the soil, may be good, and then the word bears fruit, an abundant fruit. But it can also be hard and impermeable. Impermeable. doesn't go in. He says, This happens when we hear the word of God, but it bounces off us, just as on a street. It doesn't enter our heart. So if we, we think about this, it, he talks about it, the soil is our heart. You know, the, the Word of God enters our heart. 
it's not just our head. The seed of God is not just our head, our understanding. There are things we can understand with our head. We read the scriptures, lots of things we understand in scripture, in theology, in philosophy. Perhaps we can quote St. Thomas or Pope Benedict and wax very intellectual. Because it's entered into our head, we understand. But we must see if we've really made the connection and if that seed has really taken root in the soil of our heart, our will, our decisions, our generous response to God's call. You know, there are some people, it's, I always find it hard to discern, but there, there are people who are like, let's say, very Orthodox Catholics, they're, you know, they know all the commandments, they know the church's teaching, they love the liturgy, they're kind of like very zealous, kind of, you would describe them maybe as hardline types, they know the moral code, but at the moment of actually applying it in their relations with others, often in their family, they become, it's like, it's like the head and the heart don't click together, it doesn't merge, it doesn't mesh together. And they become very, those are people that can become very intolerant. They, they see the code, the moral code, and they don't see the person, you know, that it has to be integrated into. But they have the intellectual knowledge and ability. But it must merge together with the heart. That is the way it's applied with mercy. and Of course, Jesus didn't just give us this as an image. He explained it. He, he wanted us to think this through, to discern it. Lord, we know you are the seed, that precious seed that wants to take root deeply in my soul so that I know how to apply it in all circumstances of my priesthood. And I understand, Lord, that there's a danger that your word just lie there, dormant. It's there, I understand it's there. Sits there without springing up and bearing fruit. Fruits of charity, fruits of affection, fruits of uh, knowing how to deal with stressful situations. It's possible that your seed just lie there, dormant. But you're constantly sowing seed in my soul. Even today, you're going to sow seed. Even when I open the breviary. Maybe we can just take one example of what the Lord says and see how it can apply to us. Farmer went out to sow seed. He was scattered the seed. Some fell along the path and the birds ate it up. I mean, we could go through each one, but perhaps... You know, as priests, we could look at this, the, the seed that is sown along the path. What is this, the path? The path is the place of traffic. The, and the path has to be hardened by travelers, maybe by gravel, the activity of much coming and going. It's not soft. It's not, it's not like the earth where people don't step around it too much. It's, it's, it's hard, right? It has to be hard so to be a good path. And uh, perhaps that 
is the kind of soil in our soul that is perhaps the soil of activism or perhaps the soil of lukewarmness. We have to see if in any retreat we always have to examine ourselves on the expressions of lukewarmness if it somehow has entered into my soul, if, if my soil has become lukewarmness, which is often the result of activism, doing many things, traveling a lot. They say lukewarmness is, is a pathology of love that puts the ideals of the Christian to sleep. It's a pathology of, of love. It can be found, it can be hidden, and it's as though it can constantly stalk us and mitigate our first surrender, that joyful following of the Lord Jesus. And that's what it's trying to destroy and hinder so that the seed doesn't take root. There's a word in, in Spanish, well, especially, I guess, in Mexico, they always use that when they, when they don't want to do something. They say, Tengo flojera. They say like, like that, flojera. La flojera is basically laziness. Flojo means weak, but flojera is, that's what it is, it's laziness. It's, it's a kind of a laziness in the interior struggle. It's, flojera is more like a deep-rooted laziness. St. Josemaria says, uh, fight against the weakness which makes you lazy and careless in your spiritual life. Remember that it might well be the beginning of lukewarmness. And in the words of Scripture, God will vomit the lukewarmness out of his mouth. That's like, it's like the strongest word in Scripture, vomit the lukewarm out of his mouth from, from the book of Revelation. Chapter 3. Other expressions, just to like tone it down a little bit, says, uh, God will spew thee out of my mouth. That's the King James Version. It's a little bit less, uh, but the vomit out of life, that's like... And it has to make us react. Maybe that's why it's so strong. Or, St. Josemaria says in the Forge, and that's what we want to do in the retreat. He says, sincerely examine the way you are following the Master. Consider whether you might have given yourself in a dry, official way with a faith that has no sparkle to it. If there's no humility or sacrifice, nor daily work, if you're all facade, then pay no attention to the details of each moment. In a word, if you lack love. If this is the case, your ineffectiveness should come as no surprise to you. React right away and be led by the hand of Our Lady. He always uh, you know, had recourse to Our Lady when, when everything we felt lazy or tired or lackluster. It was as though Our Lady could, would, would fire us up breath of Our Lady is, you know, she, she breathes on the embers of our indifference. And to, to, to make that fire not just slight embers, but really into the fire of God's love. And so, 
in retreat we have to look where are the manifestations of lukewarmness in my life blessed alvo would say that it's a it's a it's a sickness of the will it's the will that is somehow affected i just don't want to do this i don't feel like doing this i don't feel like doing a good job i don't feel like going out to meet those people okay i do it anyway and but the, the will is still hasn't been transformed it's a it's a pathology of love that puts the ideals of Christ, of the christian to sleep so Navarro would say so it's as though he's like analyzing it as though it were like a sickness, like like, like a doctor would. He says, "What are the symptoms?" He says, uh, "Irritability appears when faced with the slightest demand or sacrifice. Complaints are made for no real reason. Conversation becomes empty or self-centered, self-centered, because one of the symptoms of lukewarmness is found in that." Non cogitare nisi de se. Not think of anything but of oneself. Of which the external expression is non loqui nisi de se. Not speaking of anything but of oneself. If we're turning around, I like this, I, I don't like that, I prefer this, I prefer that. And then we, we it can happen, you know. It's, it's not, I don't know if, how often that happens, but it's not very. Uh, What's the word? I don't know what the word is, but it's, it doesn't seem to be very conducive to piety when you hear a preach a, a priest speaking about himself, and, and at the pulpit or any other where, or any other place really. Saint Josemaria used uh, the expression. It's a Spanish word. I don't pronounce it very well, but it's aburguesamiento, aburguesamiento, which is basically becoming bourgeois. It's or being abourgeoisized. I don't know if you can say that. Becoming bourgeois. Liking the food just like this. I like that. I like my clothes like this. I like. I suppose it's an attachment to the comfortable life perhaps a bit superficial, fleeing from anything that involves a bit of sacrifice. Lugormus is that great hidden enemy of that love that that we want to offer to our Lord, that, that we want it to take root. And it 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 can enter in, but it can sometimes be difficult to notice. It's like those silent diseases that little by little they they come to extend to the whole organism and they infect the man and he barely notices, notices it. One of, the, one of my confreres in Rome whom I, I was ordained with, he was, I think he was almost the same age as me and we, we studied together and, and he st- ended up staying there in Rome to teach... Uh, First to teach philosophy, then to teach uh, theology in Santa Croce. And uh, not very long ago, he was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease. Mm-hmm. And it's it, I've saw, seen pictures of him, and he has to be strapped down in in the wheelchair because he has no 
you know, no, I don't know, no power in his muscles. It's a degenerative disease. And as I understand, this progressively weakens the muscles, as though a kind of atrophy happens in the muscles. And eventually, they say that it can lead to the collapse of the actual lungs. And, uh, and to keep it at bay, people have to do kind of ongoing exercise. They have to move so that this atrophy doesn't happen. But, of course, the, the muscles are atrophying somehow. They're degenerating. And eventually, it can lead to complete paralysis. It's, they say it's incurable. Lou Gehrig's disease is incurable. And it's very striking to see this, the pictures I've seen of him with his, with his family and friends. And, and he's just hanging there in the wheelchair. You can see like he does, his head is not straight. He can't seem to hold it up. Uh, it's, very, it's very striking you know, as, a, as, a, as the degenerative disease that it is. And that it has no cure. But lukewarmness can be cured. It's, it's got a cure. But we have to exercise. We have to keep, you know, we have to exercise our faith, exercise our love. Why can it be cured? Because there is no limit to our love for God. There's no, oh, I can only love Him a little bit, uh, you know, on, on uh, you know Saturday afternoons. Uh, you know, th- there's no limit. And you know, that's what they say. One of the clearest signs of lukewarmness is this unwillingness to make the effort to match the specific demands of our vocation. Especially sometimes in small little things. Maybe we can offer the Lord these small little microbursts of energy. Like, I'm not going to my phone. I'm not, I could, I go into the confessional, I don't bring my phone. Or forego, in given circumstances, not to look at the phone. Uh, to keep focus on the work I'm doing. Put things away. But, you know, what, is your, what do your drawers look like? Your, your clothing drawers is just like a chaos. Uh, but, you know, if we, if we, every time with love, we put our socks in the right place. Uh, just their socks. It's not going to apparently change the world. But if we do it out of love, it's as though it's an action of love that will make that seed grow. Or little penances, little concrete signs of our love for God, to forego that extra beer or that have that little mortification at at meals, forego or overcome that temptation to go and take a nap every time you're tired. You know, I'm tired. I'm I've been working all morning and. And I, I want to take a nap. I want to take the the devil is saying, "Come, come to the bed." <laughs> you know, we're waiting for you here. <laughs> you say, "No, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my breviary now. I'm gonna prepare that homily. I'm gonna go and fill out that baptismal form or whatever thing is not 
particularly appealing to you. That could be a good penance. And since the Lord said that it's on the road, you know, that the seed fell, well, that's activism. That's the, the, the danger of activism, right? And what happens with activism? Activism is when we evaluate our priesthood by all the things we do, by the many things we organize. And we end up staying on the surface, right? Uh, we accomplish many things, and oh, that's why my priesthood is going good. And then it's like we have a hard time spending time alone with the Lord. Or, or we think, well, I should be doing this, I should be doing that. Or we don't do the, the breviary, we leave it to the last minute at night. Uh, we do the, you know, the Vespers or something, and it's, uh, it's like 11.45, you know. And, uh, you know, Pope, Pope Benedict has spoken about this uh, danger. You know, it's, it's beautiful to see that after his resignation, he ended up spending uh, all, that, all those years in the, the monastery in the Vatican, praying. I, I still remember when he said, I will now, you know, go and support the church by my silent prayer. Before it was all these trips and homilies and all these things that he was... It's as though I'm continuing to act, but in this recollected way. We sometimes perhaps let ourselves be overtaken by this noise, excessive noise, not physical noise as the ceaseless activity of whirlwind of thoughts, of imaginations, uh, what we've heard, what we've said, what will they think about me? And this, all these thoughts can feed our worries, our fears, our frustrations, and and it's as though the Holy Spirit is saying, by the way, I, I wanted to say, uh, do you mind if I just, can I ask you something? I just want to, Holy Spirit is going in there, and we're going, oh, this lady said this. You know, we're, the worries are just like a whirlwind. And silence, quiet, peace, is where the Holy Spirit will also speak to us. Well, let's ask our Blessed Mother. She will ensure that as she prays for us, we don't become ever lukewarm priests. We can tell the Lord, I do not want to become lukewarm. Sow the seed of your word in my soul. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me.